If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 527. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, free audiobook, the same title, read by yours truly. You can click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. Help keep these lights on. Get a book plate there if you want autograph on one of my books. I've got almost a dozen of those. So the most recent are the Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings. Also, click on or go to McClanahan Academy. That's a great way to support the show. It's free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. 10 Myths of American History. You get great deals on new and forthcoming courses when you've enrolled there you're going to get coupons in the in your email but you can also purchase a class there also click on that shop tab get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff at brianmcclanahan.com go to learn true t-r-u-e learn true history.com it's my affiliate link for tom woods liberty classroom lots of great ways to support the show with a little bit of cash but always share the podcast around on social media rate it wherever you get your podcasts we can get it on all major podcast platforms let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally and, of course, the best way to grow is through organic growth. Now, this is a listener-generated episode. Somebody sent me this from the Smithsonian Magazine. And if you want me to talk about something, send me something that you might want me to say. I've got one coming this week on Lee. I mean, it's, I've gotten a, a lot of emails on that one. So it's coming this week. This one, though, I found interesting from an article from the Smithsonian about monuments. Now, this is where the historical profession is today. It's, it's so bad. I mean, I don't know in some ways why anybody who's conservative, libertarian, would even want to deal with these people on a regular basis. Now, I do. Look, it's, it's trying. But, I mean, I, I, I work at a very small school. We don't have a big department. So, it's, I mean, the people there are great. No, they're great people. Uh, just you know, down to earth, easygoing. Doesn't even, we don't even talk politics or anything. This never even comes up. And I think most people are like that, right? They just talk about his talk about cool stuff in history. You know, we don't get into the controversial stuff. We'll talk about things that are non-controversial, right? But I know this this is not the case when you look at the Twitter historians, and I've criticized them a lot there in how these political activists masquerading as historians and what they do. Um, it's it's just disgusting. So when I see pieces like this, I think, well, there you go. There's the profession right now. And it's it's really bad. And I wish this wasn't the case because people don't even think for a second, well, why do you think this is the case right now? Why do you think this is... Why do you think this situation is the way it is? They don't stop to think about it at all. It's just a, It's just a criticism. And the idea, as we talked about yesterday on the podcast and what the education quote-unquote world is trying to do is create a narrative, a framework by which everybody is then going to agree and move forward with that. And the framework is 
essentially America bad, anybody traditional America is bad, and the only people that are justified of having a monument or being talked about in the classroom are people that we think are um, are worthy because of our political views. Now, yesterday I saw I said in the beginning of the podcast I was going to read something of a book and I one of my books and I forgot to do that, and I'm not going to do it now. But it's it was something that Sam Irvin had said about bureaucrats, and I mean I, it could apply to this. I might I might get into it today and read that part of it. Something that Sam Irvin, who was a senator from North Carolina, said about bureaucrats and government agencies and government programs and all these things. What's the real goal of it all? What's the real goal of teaching all these things? Well, it's to create an environment that produces articles like this stupid piece of trash. From the Smithsonian Magazine. Now think about that. This is the Smithsonian They've written all kinds of left-wing garbage recently, but this is bad, too. So let's get into it. The title of the article is, Scholars Spent a Year Scrutinizing America's Monuments. Here's what they learned. Here's what they learned. Last summer, statues were seemingly coming down left and right. After the police murder of George Floyd sparked widespread protest against racial injustice and police brutality, Communities across the United States rallied to reevaluate and often remove the racist, misleading art decorating their public spaces. <laughs> that art is racist. I mean, think about the stupidity behind that very statement. That art is racist. So a benign thing like a piece of art is now racist. Where do we come up with this? Misleading art? What's misleading about it? There's nothing misleading about it. It tells you what it's there for. If you're talking about Confederate statues in particular, oh, they don't say anything about slavery. The piece is going to get into that. They don't say anything about slavery. Nothing about slavery. Well, but that's because they didn't really think about it. right? Maybe, maybe that's because it wasn't that important to the people that put it up there. There was a an image I saw, and uh, it ran at uh, Abbeville Institute this week, of an 1890 photograph from the unveiling of the Lee Monument there in, that they just took down in Richmond. And who's in the front? A couple of, I think, a handful of black Americans. That monument was so misleading and racist and oppressive that, and these people were so racist and misleading and oppressive that they put black people in the photo. Oh my gosh, what are these people thinking? Some works were quietly disassembled by authorities with cranes and construction gear. Others were thrown into the sea or yanked from their pedestals by protesters. Since May 2020, the Toppled Monuments Archive has cataloged 84 such removals of colonialist, imperialist, racist, and sexist monuments in North America. The Southern Poverty Law Center. Anytime you bring in the Southern Poverty Law Center, your, your article's just garbage from the beginning. The Southern Poverty Law Center's Who's Heritage Project, meanwhile states that a record-breaking 168 Confederate symbols, including statues, institution names, and plaques, were taken down in 2020. Again, what is this all about? It's all about taking down things that are uh, offensive, or, uh, or at least I should say politically offensive to these people, because as 
a little twit pointed out years ago about the uh, about the Maryland State song. It's dissident. It's that's what they really don't like about it. It's dissident. It's basically a big middle finger. You can't do that on TV anymore. Eli Manning got in trouble for that. A big middle finger to the central authority and to the left. It's what it is. But it could be the right. I mean, anytime you're talking about local self-government, it could be to the right, too. It's dissidence. It's not taking it. It's the Anglo-American tradition of resistance to tyranny. That's what it is. But what about the public works that remain? According to Monument Lab, an art history and social justice nonprofit based in Philadelphia, an estimated 99.4% of American monuments were not toppled or taken down in 2020-2021. Good. It should be 100%. It should be 100% of American monuments should be there and not toppled or taken down. This is ridiculously stupid. In other words, Monument Lab Director Paul Farber tells Smithsonian Magazine, for every removed monument that's in the spotlight, scores more are still out there as the old, worn furniture of a city or town. Unsurprisingly, the statues still standing overwhelmingly honor white male historical figures. Well, first of all, I'll get into this in a second. Let me, let me continue because you just have to ask a question about this in a minute. To view the nation's commemorative landscape from a bird's-eye perspective, Farber and colleagues Lori Allen and Sue Mobley led a team of 30 researchers in a year-long project to catalog as many American monuments as possible. As Zachary Small reports for the New York Times, the survey published this week as a 42-page audit in an open-source searchable database is the first of its kind. Funded by the Mellon Foundation's $250 million monuments project, the analysis charts 48,178 statues, plaques, parks, and obelisks across public spaces in every state and U.S. territory. The researchers parsed data from 42 publicly available sources, including state, tribal, and federal records, records National Park Service databases, and the Smithsonian American, Smithsonian American Art Museum's Save Outdoor Sculptures Survey, which was conducted between 1990 and 1995. I bet you on that thing there's... Save outdoor structures. You would have Robert E. Lee. You know, we should save that. We should save these monuments. But no, no, no. 30 years later, you can't do that anymore. Anantina constituted the nation's largest source of monument-related data. We did a lot of streaming, streamlining of the data, bringing in biographical information, and really pulling things together from scattered, decentralized sources, says Farber. The resulting data allow, set allows scholars to lift up the hood on the mechanisms of memory. Wink, wink, right? What is he saying there? To lift up the hood. What hood? Well, of course, it's the hood of white supremacy, because that's exactly what all these monuments are about to these nincompoops. We want to understand what gets remembered and what gets forgotten. The team's findings throw into sharp relief what many have long suspected to be the case. America's monuments are overwhelmingly honor white men. Now, again, why would that be the case? Why would that be the case at all? Well, maybe it's because, for most of American history, these are the people that did most of the things that we consider to be important. Last 50 years, that's changed. But maybe because most of American history recognized these people, and these people were the ones that were driving political policy and wars and other things. I mean, monuments tend to honor soldiers who fought in wars, and up until the Korean War, we had an, a segregated military. Though there is a monument, of course, to the 54th Massachusetts and in Massachusetts itself. I think it's Boston. So there are monuments out there. 
So, I mean, these things exist. They've been built later, but they're still there, right? And I think that monument was built, it was built at the turn of the 20th century. It wasn't built later. It was built earlier on. So, uh, I mean, these things exist. And what about, uh, you know, even on the Arlington Confederate Monument, there's there's uh, black Americans on that monument. Now, people would, oh, but that shows them in ways that aren't true, right? But they're still there. So what's the question? I mean, what's the problem? Well, because these things represent, these monuments in particular represent things these people don't like. They don't like the Confederacy. They don't like independence. They don't like secession. They don't like any of that stuff. And they don't even like American secession, right? They don't like that either. Of the top 50 most represented individuals, only five are black or indigenous. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., fourth. right? So out of the top 50, number four is Martin Luther King Jr. Now, what does that say? He's considered to be in the top five of most important Americans in American history. Because you've got, of all the people, probably, I, mean, I would have to look at it, but... Um, but Washington, I'm sure, will be. Uh, so you got you got top five. Okay, here here are the here are the top five individuals. So let me just let me just say this. Number one is Abraham Lincoln. All right. Well, that makes sense. Number two is George Washington. Again, that makes sense. Number three, Christopher Columbus. Now, Columbus is a controversial one. Of course, this is the week of Columbus Day. As you're getting this, this is uh, this is the Tuesday after Columbus Day. So Columbus is an interesting one. Um, is he's not he's certainly not uh, an American from the United States, but he was important in uh, in American history. Okay. So there you go. Uh, now Martin Luther King is number four ahead ahead of. St. Francis of Assisi, of course, the Catholic Church, ahead of Robert E. Lee, ahead of Pulaski, ahead of Benjamin Franklin, ahead of John F. Kennedy, Thomas Jefferson, U.S. Grant, Stonewall Jackson, Jefferson Davis, Marquis de Lafayette, Andrew Jackson. He's ahead of all these people. Teddy Roosevelt, William McKinley, Joan of Arc, Nathan Hale, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare's not even American, but I mean, so you, but ahead of all these people. And some people you don't even... People wouldn't even say, who, who the heck is that? But on the list, of course, they're upset because so many of these people are are not people of color, as they say. And I'll continue the article. Uh, it says, of the top 50, right, Martin Luther King is fourth. That's pretty high up there. Underground Railroad Conductor Harriet Tubman is 24th. Swanee Chief, I'm sorry, Shawnee Chief Tecumseh is 25th. Now, here's how they describe Tecumseh, who led Native American resistance to colonialism. You could, you could say it that way. Or you could say he went to war with the United States, but he's okay. He's okay. He went to war with the United States. He was fighting the United States, an enemy of the United States. De I mean, look, declared enemy of the United States. Killed American soldiers, and yet it's okay to honor him because he's fighting colonialism. Well, what is the South fighting? Colonialism. They don't want to be a colony of the North. They're fighting the same thing. They're fighting for their independence. See, one independence movement is okay, but one is not okay. Here's the other thing they don't mention about the Indian tribes at this time. They were slaveholding people. So why is one slaveholding society okay and another slaveholding society is not okay? 
Why? Because one is not white. The Creek Indians, who Tecumseh was out here, was in the South trying to rally to support the Shawnee, were all slaveholding peoples. They owned slaves. Right? So, uh, I mean, this was a slaveholding group fighting another slaveholding group. But yet one's okay because they're resisting American expansion. Here's a guy. This is the stupidity of this piece. Tecumseh is fighting and killing American soldiers. And yet he's okay. But Robert E. Lee, who was fighting for, in his mind, the principles of the United um, Anglo-American tradition, political tradition, is not okay because he was fighting the United States and killed American soldiers. I'm going to talk about Lee this week because this is the argument that's made essentially by the Smithsonian Magazine. Shoshone explorer Sacagawea, 28th, and abolitionist and writer Frederick Douglass, 29th. No U.S.-born, Latino, Asian, Pacific Islander, or self-identified LGBTQ people appear in the top 50 per the audit. Again, when are most of these monuments erected? Now, I would say that today, if you had a new monument go up, you'd probably have some of these people in that group. Okay, so put up more monuments, but don't take down the other ones. This is stupid. Half of the top 50 were enslavers. Among them, many U.S. presidents. Abraham Lincoln came in first place, appearing 193 times in the sample, a testament to his enduring popularity in the 20th century. He was followed closely by George Washington and Christopher Columbus. Half the top 50 were enslavers. Not just slave owners. They were enslavers. Right? This this is a subtle change with language. It's like disturbing and... uh, concerning and problematic, since slavers has a much more harsh tone to it. The audit shows just how many Americans don't see themselves reflected in public art. Aaron Thompson, a historian at John Jay College and author of a forthcoming book titled Smashing Statues. (laughs) She's a real objective critic of this, isn't she? Tells National Geographic's Andrew Lawler, monuments are supposed to inspire us all. So what does it mean when our monuments make it seem like only wealthy white men are deserving of honor? I don't know. Add more monuments then. Maybe those people are great people. Maybe they did great things. Don't be so sensitive. Don't be such a snowflake. Because until the last 50 years, these are the people generally driving America. Even if you want to go back, say, 100 years. But these are the people driving America. Monument Lab's top 50 includes just three women, Joan of Arc, Tubman, and Sacagawea. Outside the top 50, the most frequently honored women are often European, such as scientist Marie Curie, saints such as Catholic leader uh, Elizabeth Ann Seton, or both Joan of Arc. Well, I mean, because isn't Columbus European, though, too? And you have St. Francis of Assisi. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think... He was American, but anyways. Uh, So, isn't Marie Curie worthy of an honor? I mean, but that's not not good. Because she's European, right? She's European. Likenesses of female figures often represent mythological or allegorical symbols rather than actual people. This pattern made headlines in August 2020 when a statue of Sojourner Truth 
Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton became the first work to depict real women in New York City's Central Park in its 167-year history. Previously, the park's only statues of women portrayed fictional figures such as Mother Goose and Alice in Wonderland. As the audit Riley adds, the survey found that the ratio of statues depicting mermaids to those of U.S. Congresswomen is 22 mermaids to two lawmakers. Again, how long have women been in Congress in the United States? We're looking at, what, 100 years or so? Right? 100 years? So in that 100-year period, uh, we haven't had a whole lot of statues erected to women. And... um, that's just because people aren't doing it. Maybe none of these women were really that important, right? Just because they served in Congress doesn't mean anything. I mean, you could make a case that some of these people they're saying are public statues and other things aren't really that important either. But I mean, certainly presidents of the United States, important person, you know, somebody that led military, you know, important. Um, but anyways, acts of violence figure heavily in the nation's monuments. 33% of the studied works commemorate war. Comparatively just, comparatively, just a sliver, 9% reference veterans. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, because how do you reference veterans if they're commemorating a war? Well, that's usually in honor of the veterans who served in the war to remember the war and not some kind of glorifying violence. Our monuments generally minimize the social and environmental costs of warfare for our veterans, their families, and our communities, the authors, the audit's authors wrote. Crucially, the myth of the lost cause pervades the monument landscape. Touted by white supremacists, this ahistorical ideology suggests the Civil War was fought over states' rights rather than slavery. That's not what it says. In fact, go, see, this is, people don't even, haven't even read Pollard. It's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. In fact, Pollard is pretty open about slavery in the war. He says it. People said it all the time. In fact, in some of these speeches, they said, yeah, I mean, you know, the war. Some people would say that uh, we, we important to slavery, and they would talk about it. They would actually they would talk about it in the speeches, dedicating the monuments and what it was. But at the end of the day, it was always about the men, their character, the veterans, this kind of thing. This is what the monuments were about. And, of course, it was about fighting for independence, the right of a state to secede from the Union. That's really what it was about. And if you say, well, to do what? Well, the North wasn't saying the states couldn't maintain slavery. They just said you can't have it in the Western territories. The North had slave states up until 1865. So they weren't against that. Lincoln was never against that. This is stupid. It's stupid, stupid, stupid. Of the 5,917 recorded monuments that memorialize the Civil War, just 1% include the word slavery. Well, maybe that's because the war for the North was about saving the Union for most veterans, as that arch-neo-Confederate James McPherson has pointed out, or in the South it was about independence, as that arch-neo-Confederate James McPherson has pointed out. Maybe it was because it was against slavery, their own enslavement to the North. They did mention it. This is what McPherson actually says. Now, he does come back around, well, they started talking about slavery. There were people that did talk about they were fighting to keep slavery. Yeah, of course you're going to find that. You're also going to find northerners who were fighting against it. Of course you're going to find that. That wasn't the majority of the men who were fighting in the war, which is why these monuments memorialize common soldiers. This trend is the direct result of coordinated campaigns by neo-Confederate groups 
to erect monuments to Confederate leaders during the late 19th and early 20th centuries, when the Civil Rights Movement was gathering steam. It wasn't gathering steam in the 1890s. There was no Civil Rights Movement. Early 20th centuries, 19-teens? There was no... I mean, this is just so stupid. This article is ridiculously stupid. What stupid person wrote this? Let me go back up to the top here. Who's it written by? Nora McGreevy. Nora McGreevy is a moron. Nora McGreevy shouldn't be allowed to write anything publicly again. This trend is the direct result of... Uh, I just read that. Uh, commemorative works commissioned by such organizations as the United Daughters of the Confederacy paid homage to a slaveholding society and served as blunt assertions of dominance over black Americans, as Brian Palmer and Seth Fred Wessler wrote for a Smithsonian magazine. Oh yeah, because that's authoritative. Because they wrote it for the same magazine I'm writing in. This is like some high school student went out and tried to find a review. I mean, this is, I actually had a, a colleague of mine tell me this. They, they got a paper one time. They, Will you look at this? Because I want to talk about this. And it was about a public figure and it was all secondary stuff, and it was all stupid. This is for a, a um, for a, a ma- for a university. It was all secondary stuff and just worthless. All you know, stuff based on modern uh, groupthink about you know who's this and that, and based on no primary sources, nothing. And that's what's being churned out by universities now in their history programs. So you get. He's like a high school student would say, well, this article in this magazine that I write for said this, so I'm going to say the same thing. Cause, you know, and then this person said this, but let me go out and actually find information on this. And when you look at the link, uh, it's another link to a Smithsonian article, How I Learned About the Lost Cause. <laughs> Indigenous and Native American communities were also, are also widely misrepresented in U.S. monuments. Of 916 works dedicated to pioneers, just 15% mention Native American communities in any capacity. Okay. So what? The question, so what? So put up monuments to them. Viewed in the aggregate, these markers represent gross distortions over time, with certain historical events skewed in the service of white colonialists, uh, colonists, I'm sorry, according to Farber. The scale of historical misinformation and racist exclusion laid bare by the data may be overwhelming. <laughs> I don't think it does at all, because I think it's just stupid. Yeah, if you're working from that mindset, well then, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. I don't know, i got anxiety over this now. It's anxiety. But Farber argues that America's monuments have never been frozen in time beyond content or reproach. Early... Colonists demonstrated this on July 9, 1776, when they removed, toppled a statue of Ed, uh, England's King George III. The first such removal recorded in the young nation's history. The spate of monument removal seen in the past year is nothing new. So this is what I always, it's, it's always um, funny. Um, it's always funny when, uh, when I when I read this, because this, this episode is always pointed out, well, look, the Americans took down George III. So, of course, they believe that founding fathers did this. So the founding fathers would be all about toppling a monument. Now, think about that for a second. George III was the king of England, king of Great Britain at the time, king of Great Britain, not England, but Great Britain. And the colonists were fighting a war against Great Britain. So why would they leave him up? 
Why would they do that? We're talking about Americans here. We're still part of America. We're talking about Americans. All these people, I mean, Columbus is an American, though. Ponce de Leon is not an American. But all these people, all these monuments are there. Uh, and we're talking about taking down Americans because people don't like who they are. Well, that's stupid. That's stupid. On one of the final days of edits for the audit, Farber witnessed another monument's removal up close. Page proofs in hand. He stood with a crowd of hundreds gathered to see the equestrian statue of Robert Lee taken down in Richmond, Virginia. Now, this is where this is funny. Think what she says here. City workers carefully lifted the 21-foot-tall statue off its pedestal, carefully lifted it off, and then cut the Confederate general's torso from his body. As crowds cheered, the crew loaded the assembled, disassembled sections onto truck beds before driving them to an undisclosed storage unit. Yeah, I don't know if that one made it to the sewage plant in Richmond, but probably so. And it wasn't careful when you cut it, when you destroy it. That's not carefully doing anything. Didn't carefully take it down. Farber celebrates changes such as these. Celebrates it. This is, this is objective, right? This, this study is objective because here's the guy. Right? Here's the guy that's involved in this study who is celebrating, celebrating the destruction of monuments. So that's, this is an objective study, isn't it? Yeah. But he's also eagerly looking forward to the monuments that artists have yet to design and install. As Farber noted in a recent conversation with Mellon Foundation Director Elizabeth Alexander, the audience, audience authors hope their research provides a tool for the next generation of scholars, artists, and activists to create new public spaces and symbols of their own. Well, we should take down the old, but we should put new up that we think are good. Well, Why? What, should we, what can we learn about? What was admirable about Robert E. Lee? Well, there's a lot, and I'm going to talk about it this week, matter of fact, tomorrow, in a podcast. We really want to see this country engage in a holistic reckoning in big and small ways with these monumental erasers and lies, Faber told Simpsonian. And we want to see a landscape that more fully acknowledges the history of this country. Yeah, with lies. So lies there. Well, the lie is you. We're, we're really in trouble when people like this. This is what I said before. Do you want these people teaching history? We need to teach more history. These are the people because of things that the, I mean, we talked about yesterday. You get, you get all this stuff put into school systems, and then you create little activists, and they run around, they read little stuff like this, and you have little twits that try to write little papers like this. And they don't know anything they're talking about. And that's what we get more history. This is this will be good. This is history. This is Smithsonian Magazine history. In fact, the tags are African American history, American history, American Indian history, Confederacy, not Confederate history, not Southern history. No, no, Confederacy. Cultural heritage, cultural preservation, history of now, mo, now history of now, monument, protest, racism, sculpture, statues, history of now. What the heck does that even mean? History of now. History of history of now. 
That's one of the tags. History of now. I don't even know. I'm at a loss for words on that kind of stuff. But anyways, here we are, 2021. This is the stupidity of all these people. And why would you want to be in a union with these people? It's just a question you should ask. Why would you want to be here with these people? I don't know. Why would you, why would you want to? I, I, it's a big question. People need to be asking themselves. All right. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.